welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, Episode 34. Crush resistance by finding your motivation, practice, and habit building in early recovery. Well, welcome back, everyone, or welcome for the first time. If this is the first time you've seen the uh, been with us on the journey of integral recovery, this is episode 34. So we are rolling and going, and this thing is uh, getting out there, and people are really starting to, to listen to this. And I, 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 we get really nice feedback from you guys, so keep it coming. We love it. Only positive. No, you can, you can. Constructive criticism is also um invited and accepted and loved so my name is john dupuy and this is the guy down on the bottom is dr bob weathers and this is douglas prater and douglas is our uh producer and co-podcaster and and all things uh integral recovery that we're doing so um well hello everyone hello there john hi doug <laughs> and, and i think we we're talking about <laughs> Maybe uh, speaking about um, some of the some of the challenges of getting uh, people into integral recovery. Okay, and I was thinking of a new tagline for integral recovery: integral recovery. It takes practice. Yeah, you know, and and I just love that because it just takes hard work. I mean, you know, we haven't got the pill that will make you have a great body and a great and you know work out all your emotional problems and be happy all the time. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's a whole that's a whole. Uh, uh, addiction. That's what you're trying to find with all these different drugs. We haven't figured that out, but we have figured out that integral practice or practice and integral practice will truly transform your lives. And you just got to get your mojo going. And there's, there's all kinds of different resistances and people are at different levels of their own development. And we talk about an integral theory and people are also at different levels of the process of addiction. So there, there's a lot of variables and stuff, but uh, I think, Bob, you were talking to a group the other day about this, and, and what, what did you share? Yeah, I, 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 what came up was uh, young men early in recovery from serious addiction, typically to meth, uh, amphetamine, uh, uh, or uh, heroin, and uh, their lives have been spent, many of them, for seven, ten years deep in addiction. And so they're coming out with neglecting basically kind of all of the lines of development that we discuss here. Body, cognitive, emotional, relational, creative, uh, spiritual, all of that. And how to kind of light a fire, you guys. That's kind of what I was saying about it. how to, how to, uh, how to uh, uh, evoke interest and value for doing something that's not been done for years. I'll have to tell you this is that in, in, in this, uh, in the, one of the two groups I'm thinking of, there was one person, one man who uh, was honest enough to say that he's never developed any of these. He doesn't have like a pre-morbid history of having developed his body or anything. So here's somebody who's starting from absolute scratch. Most of the people have things on, in place early on before the addiction took over. So it's like, how do you reignite interest in what it is, whether it's working out or uh, for some of them, it's, a, it's yoga practice, meditation even. Um, uh, for some of them, it's reading, writing poetry. But for almost all of them, what was universal was that it was, it's been dormant for years or really at least compromised for years. So it's, it's, it's kind of in that zone. <clears throat> I think the key when getting people 
uh, inspired to start an integral practice for the first time and begin to work on all four of these lines of development is to, and this is certainly something that you can do with a recovery coach if you're working with one or a therapist, counselor, whatever your support system is. Uh, if you don't have any of those in place, well, first of all, you should get one. And second of all, you can do these on your own if you want to, but we need to reframe our incentive for practice. It's easy to hear that all these things are good for us and working in all these lines are good for us and they will help us stay sober over time and eventually we will have all these benefits. We'll you know, lose weight or get strong in however many months. We'll develop a connection with, with spirit, with the divine over the course of however many years and that's not enough to get people started especially in the beginning, especially in the early stages of recovery, we need to find a way to reframe this so that it is immediately intrinsically rewarding. In other words, find a way to focus on the benefits that we're getting right now today from spending a few minutes doing each of these practices instead of focusing on these distant future goals. When we focus on what's happening now, we're more likely to want to do it now and to continue doing it every day in the future so that those long-term benefits eventually uh, come together and manifest. Mm-hmm. Well said, Doug. Well said. Thank you. Uh, that begs the question, how do we do that? <laughs> well, there's a whole bunch of things, you know, and, and it's not one, one size fits all. For example, I worked with a, a student one time who was a professional NFL football player, mm-hmm. and he had become addicted to pain medications, mm-hmm. and he was in really good shape. You know, and so, I mean, that was a good thing. And he was able to help other students and something like that. And you'd also find that oftentimes people have had practices before they started the addictive process. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about the really hardcore people getting ready to die in the next couple of weeks if they don't stop uh, using yeah. and drinking. And, uh, but you find that when, when they begin to sober up, they begin to, to reconnect with that. You know, and I had one student who was just fantastic yoga guy and he'd lost it all to to heroin pills and alcohol and cigarettes and anything to get his hands on and uh but when he started sobering up you know in the first two or three weeks it began to to come back also i've worked with um uh clients online and i have found that uh professional types okay who have achieved some you know professional status maybe gotten their education and had some success raising families and then they're starting to lose it to alcohol or drugs and they they reach out for help well these people know about working hard and discipline they're not young and so i find it's pretty easy with them and oftentimes you get into a gym and get them a you know a, a, a coach in a gym somebody support that and and you know it works pretty well other times it's like uh um uh do you want to go to jail then you need to do this and you don't understand it right now and you're resisting it, but your mind is a mess. You're going to have to trust me. And if you're not, uh, here's, by the way, here's your probation officer. I think he has some motivating thoughts for you. So, you know, you just, you can be, you can be, it can be as, as primitive as that, that sometimes we have to be people's auxiliary ego, auxiliary decision-making process for a bit when they first get there, if they're really low in the trenches or really low in the pit. And, uh, but soon that begins to shift and we can, they, we begin to give them their, their, their choice of decision. But if you're expecting, uh, you know, uh, one of my classic students, he was doing five grams of, of heroin every day, intravenously drinking two bottles of vodka and, uh, you know, handfuls of pills and, you know, smoking 24 seven. And he was just angry and pissed and messed up and sick and even the anger went away. He was just sick, but it began to, you know, so there's, I've just worked with a variety of people. And, uh, well, and one of the things too, that, that 
people respond to you if they know that you're actually doing it. You know, you're, you say, Hey, I'm going to take you to the gym. We're doing this together. We're practitioners and inspire them. It's not something I'm requiring of you that I haven't uh, been challenged by myself that I'm not currently doing. I think that uh, one of the things we can do to do that is ask ourselves a series of questions regarding each of these activities or get with your recovery coach or your therapist and have them go through it with you. Perhaps at some point in the future, we'll have something like this set up on our website where we can Hmm. work through these things together. But uh, for the meantime, I would say ask yourself a series of questions. Now, there's an idea that I'm going to say comes from Tony Robbins because that's where I got it, but it's quite possible that he got it from a variety of sources and synthesized all this together too. But nonetheless, the two fundamental human motivators are toward pleasure or away from pain. So we can go through with a practice in each of the four essential lines, mind, body, spirit, and shadow, and ask ourselves, what about doing this brings me pleasure? What about going out for a run makes me feel good right now? For example, it's being out in the sun. You know, right now I feel lazy, lethargic, uh, not energized, kind of down on myself. I know that getting out in the sun, going for a run, getting my heart rate going is going to immediately make me feel better. So there's a moving towards value. Or the moving away from pain is I want to change the way I feel, the bad things I'm experiencing right now. Um, Maybe a good moving away from pain value would be with what John was just talking about, avoiding jail time. I want to avoid the pain of jail, and therefore I'm going to do these things. But for each of the four practices, we need to get clear about exactly what the pleasure and what the pain is of each of these. And I would suggest um, choosing a practice in each of those four categories and asking yourself about each of them, what's good about doing this immediately and what's bad about not doing this immediately so that you can get yourself up and take some action right now today. You know what I'm thinking about? I really like that, uh, Doug, what you're suggesting is that uh, we've talked about it before, but our brains have a built-in negativity bias and it's survival-based is that it's much more evolutionarily adaptive to be aware of negative shit than positive stuff. And and, and I, I really like what you're suggesting in terms of kind of short-term focusing on the positives and positive can include removing of the negative. I mean, I really get what you're saying in terms of the motivators, but um, I wonder if it's something that the three of us might uh, 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 drum up over time. And John, you may have done this in your book. I can't remember right now, but, but some way to track almost like on a daily basis, these, these four different dimensions in terms of practices I'm doing and how it's either doing one of the two things you just said, Doug, it's either, it's either enhancing my life in terms of pleasure or it's enhancing my life by removing, you know, negative, negative stuff. I was thinking as you were talking, for example, about shadow is that I don't know that many people would say, oh man, I just really freaking love engaging with the shadow. I guess that might be possible. But the payoff of doing it, the alternative is not to deal with the shadow and then have it manifest, for example, in arguments with my wife. And I just, I would like to remove that and it's going to require me dealing with some some uh, some shadow material, let's say, just as one example. But some way to track it on a daily basis. I think if we could create um, uh, 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 just like a daily checklist or something like that. I think it's, <clears throat> I think it'd be really helpful. I think the longer term thing, especially if I'm early in recovery, if there's no way for me to assimilate that, it's just not, there's no traction there. 
So. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about early recovery, you know, some people that are in, you know, they're just getting um, medically detox, you know, at that phase. And, and then, you know, then, yeah. you, you know, the first few weeks, when they're just kind of, I mean, the first three weeks or a month and treat yeah. just getting yeah. your humanity back and your body. Yeah, yeah. Away I'm actually you. thinking, I'm actually thinking I should clarify that because I'm thinking post detox, I guess. And yeah. so when I think of early recovery, it might be the first year or two is what I'm imagining you guys like, for example, a long term heroin addict, the first year or two is still really early recovery in terms of developing some kind of foundational practices. Sure. And it's during that time that it's critical that we find some appeal. And I really like what we're all three talking about here, Doug, your suggestions about shorter term goals, uh, and, and then tying it very specifically into distinct pleasures or removal of unpleasant stuff feels really practical to me. I, it's very suggestive. I think it's, I'd like to, like to develop that with you guys. <clears throat> the thing yeah, is, well, a lot of these practices are incredibly uncomfortable while you're yes. doing them. And so yeah, we're not, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. we're, we're not yeah. looking at, you know, yeah. the pleasure of while we're actually engaged in the activity, but rather right. the acute period following it. For example, I'm not sitting around in the gym pushing up a barbell going, oh yeah, this feels great. But <laughs> as soon as I'm done, you know, there's, there's a surge of endorphins. There's a surge of yeah. other pleasurable neurochemicals. And plus yeah. I feel great about myself mm -hmm. for yeah. having done it. And yeah. there's an improvement yeah. of self-esteem yeah. and other associated uh, self-belief yeah. dimensions and it's the same with shadow nobody likes to dig into that material it's incredibly uncomfortable well maybe some people do but most folks that i know don't like to dig into all that uncomfortable stuff but afterwards you can look back and say huh I feel really good about myself for having done that i'm taking a positive step to improve my life and that feels great i feel better about myself i'm learning how to protect myself from all these things that were causing me problems and that makes me feel good. That makes me feel better. And it empowers me to want to continue. And yeah. so whatever that's going to be, that's, you know, we don't ask ourselves these kind of framing questions about pleasure and pain while we're doing it. This is before or after to inspire us mm -hmm. to continue. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, really like that. Oh, any couple of things. I found that when, when I, my house was full of people and uh, we, we were basically a treatment center here. Um, many people were, nutty motivated to get in the gym, you know, and I didn't have to motivate. I said, you know, guys, when's the last time you worked out? You know, oh, maybe never, or, you know, years ago, if you hit this too hard two days from now, you're not gonna be able to move. And they, oh no, we'll do it. And it's, of course, you know, you can only, you can only suggest too much. And sure enough, two days later, say, somebody help me eat my oatmeal. <laughs> it was really weird. I was, I was really shocked how, how motivated people were. And, um, hmm. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think oftentimes, you know, traditionally, recovery has not been very inspiring. And I think we have to have a vision that you can really turn this around and, and get, be happy, authentically happy, and, and be a version of yourself much better than you ever thought. I mean, we have to be able to hold that within ourselves and, and, and do that work that we can grasp that too. Also, I use motivational interviewing, and I'm sure uh, you guys are familiar with that, which I found it was a wonderful tool. And basically, it's this, you know, say, Bob, if you're you're an alcoholic and, and I'll start. Okay. Let's, um, let's Thanks for outing me, John. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the sake of this conversation, right, right. let's look at what's good about drinking, you know, and it's yeah. important for, for the interviewer not to like, you know, they have to sense you're not setting them up the trick questions. You're not the church lady go, well, isn't that special? I mean, you're really, you're really trying to get it, you know, well, I love the yeah. smell of booze. Okay. Yeah. 
So it smells really good. You know, what's your favorite kind of booze? Oh, I don't know, whiskey, whatever. And uh, what else? Well, I love, I love the burn. You know, I love when it goes down, you know. And, and I, love the, um, I love going into bar rooms, smoky, dark bar rooms, and, you know, hearing uh, ice cubes go clink, clink in the glass. And I love, you know, that first kind of release I feel in the first five minutes. And, and, and I said, okay. And so we go through this, this whole thing. I like the social thing. You know, I, I like hanging out with people drinking. And I said, well, there's a lot of good stuff. You like the smell. You like the taste, you like the, the burn, you like that initial buzz, you like the social thing or whatever it might be. And so, well, that's, man, that's pretty, that's pretty heavy duty stuff. So let's, uh, let's look at the negative aspects of it. What, what don't you like about drinking? And they go, oh, well, I'm so sick of feeling sick all the time. Yeah. I hate the hangovers, you know, I hate it taking like two o'clock for me to get to some kind of semblance of humanity. And then at five o'clock, it's time to drink again, you know, and, and, you know, I, I hate that my family's getting ready to leave me, you know, and I hate that, that I'm having to work with you because I can't do it myself. And I, you know, and they go, you just go through these things and go, wow, so you view them, you view them. And it's like a lot of stuff, good stuff and really bad stuff too, you know, stuff that you really like. And so where are you right now? You know, it's like a zero being is shut up Dupuy. I'm out of here and I got to, you know, go down the liquor store and just start guzzling or, you know, I can't do this ever again. That's like a 10, you know, I'm done. I'm so freaking done. And they're going, well, I'm about a five. And I go, wow, you're like this, you know, and that's a very honest answer. See, thank you very much. That's uh, that's good. Because it gives you a lot of information about where you're at. And then we'll do that, you know, every week or so, come back and look at, well, wow, you're, you're like at a, Seven and three quarters now, you know, in one week. That's pretty good, you know, or, or, or maybe you've gone back to what's going on. So anyway, it's a nice way to reflect and it's really honest and it's not just, you know, you're saying drugs are bad. You let people express their own feelings and, and, and the idea is that, you know, the, the decisions that you can get people to make themselves are much better than the decisions I make for you. Like you want to go to jail or, you know, <laughs> get with the program. And I found that's been, that's been, yeah. uh, a technique, yeah. and you can also use it on yourself, you know, when you're yeah. trying to make a decision about a change. Yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah. That's good. John, Thanks, I, John, I love your motivational interviewing technique. Um, I think that that's exactly what we need to do in the early stages of our integral practice, and we need to go through that, you know, ideally with a recovery coach. Um, talk to one of us or talk to whoever you happen to be working with to go through exactly that process that John has just so beautifully outlined for us yeah. to see what's good about exercising, what's bad about exercising, and where am I on a scale of 1 to 10 of wanting to work out right now? What's good about meditation, what's bad about meditation, and where am I on a scale of 1 to 10 to want to sit down and meditate right now? Um, if you don't have someone that you can talk to, I mean, first of all, contact us on our website. Um, but you can also do these things in a journal, which can be a very revelatory exercise as well. Sit down with your journal and go through this process and determine what's good and bad about doing each of the practices uh, so that we can get started with this thing. Um, I would like to bring in another tip here, which is that we expend a lot of our willpower in the process of making decisions. And so it's really important in the early stages of a practice to make a clear plan ahead of time for what we're going to do. In other words, 
if I wake up in the morning and don't know what my exercise is going to be, I'm going to expend a lot of willpower figuring that out. And then I'm going to be less likely to follow through and do it. But if I know, for example, that every Monday I'm going to do a strength training exercise for my chest, back and abs, then I just get up and do the routine. I've already figured it out. If I have to wake up and decide which I awake track I'm going to meditate to, and there's so many good ones, but I'll spend all my time digging through the list and weighing the pros and cons of everyone and it's no good. But if instead I, I wake up and I say, I know that today I'm going to do 40 minutes with PMP tier two, then it's already right there in front of me. The decision is made and I'm more likely to just push play and do it. You know, and it's also cool about that, Doug, is if you like the night before you lay out your workout clothes, you know, your tennis shoes, your t-shirt, whatever, you know, your, if you're going to your iPod and have it all there, because first of all, you're reinforcing it, you know, just by doing that action. So it's putting in your brain that, Hey, I got to work out in the morning. This is what I do. And so you get up and you don't like the lights are off. Your wife is sleeping in bed. You don't want to turn on the lights. Oh, where's your flashlight? Ah, oh, didn't put batteries in it. You know, the dog's growling at you, you know, all these things going on makes it a little more difficult, discouraging, but if you just have it, bam, you're ready to go. Just like a fireman, you know, the fire goes off and they got their gear. They know what to do. The same thing with meditation, have your place laid out, have a place that is comfortable for you, that you kind of, when you, you know, have it set up, get ready, have your, you know, your tea ready to turn on or your coffee pot ready to brew and just have it squared away. So, you know, that your life is practice centric. The most important thing you have to do in your life right now is practice and nothing else because uh, what I tell my students, because if you don't get this, you're going to lose everything else. Okay. You're going to lose it all. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your career. You're going to lose your soul. Eventually you're going to lose your life. So the most important thing and the gift that you have to yourself is get this practice thing. And it's hard to get started. Well, wham, you know, I mean, the first few days of, of boot camp were just <laughs> elations. <laughs> Just getting screamed at and, you know, and just humiliated and, you know, and, uh, but it was quite a comedy too. I mean, on one level, but anyway, so, but as we got into the first week, we just started going, Oh, I have, man, I've got some new abilities coming on. I'm, I'm actually feeling my pecs for a while. My arms are firming up. Uh, I woke up this morning and I didn't feel like I was coming out of the grave, half dead and rotted, you know, I was like, and just, I, I felt okay this morning, you know, and, and things start beginning to turn around and uh, you start getting integrity back. You start getting a little hope starts coming, you know, that, that, that particular sunrise starts to arise. Uh, there's just so many good things. And of course you can't do it alone either. You can't, you can't, you can't uh, almost by definition. Um, if you're an addict, you can't, you need help. You need support. And somebody who has a drinking problem and is able just to you know, fix it on their own, by definition, almost that person's not an addict because they evaluated it and they said, okay, let's, let's stop this. Mm-hmm. I have a thought, a thought uh, related to uh, habit. Um, <clears throat> uh, it ties back into what you were saying earlier, Doug, about making things automatic. I read some research this week that's just out on, uh, it was looking at cocaine addiction and um, uh, how difficult a habit that is to break. <clears throat> it's difficult in some ways owing to the physiology of cocaine addiction it's a difficult, uh, more difficult in some ways than other addictions. It, it turns out is, is what the article was talking about. I was looking at the brain, what happens in terms of habit formation. <clears throat> and I, I just kind of thought as I was listening to you that, that, that one of the strongest correlations in psychology is between the felt sense of ambiguity 
uh, and uh, directly correlated with anxiety is that in, in a situation where I'm left with multiple decisions or indecision, it, uh, it's, just, it's just one of these ironclad correlations in psychology and all of us can relate to it. You know, it's just uh, whether it's a high anxiety or low anxiety, it's anxiety producing. And what I was just thinking of as I was listening to you is that if I get up in the morning and like you were saying, John, if I haven't laid out my clothes and don't have the, don't have the ritual uh, uh, that I have to make all these decisions, not only am I expending energy, such as what you suggested, Doug, but I'm also um, opening the door to anxiety. And if I'm an addict, that's my primary trigger for relapse is stress. And there it is. I'm introducing it by the fact that I haven't created an automatic kind of ritual form. And so one of the clearest ways that we can can reduce anxiety is to get this stuff locked into just the same thing. My mornings are very boring. I imagine both of you guys are too, insofar as they're very predictable. It's just I do the same thing every morning. There's no decision made, and then I'm into it. Uh, but but if I were to if I were to have to decide which track I'm going to listen to or what exercises I'm going to do, begin to do that, not only is there indecision that expends energy, but there's also an increase of anxiety. And owing to what I read about cocaine addiction and relapse around habit, it's really hard to override the habit of going to relieving whatever it is that I'm relieving by my cocaine addiction or whatever other uh, addiction I have. It's really hard to break that habit. And so we have to really be, I like your word, John, we have to really exercise grit and planning ahead in order to reduce the opportunity for that other circuit to click in because it's so habitual. The circuit would be the stress relief circuit, which is I go to my alcohol, I go to my cigarette, I go to my food, I go to my cocaine. So anyway, just a thought in response to what you're saying, the, the importance of whatever we can do to make this stuff just almost reflexive, just bam, it's an automatic and, and reflex. In, and in the beginning, the neural pathways, you know, they call it uh, getting sober, kicking the habit. Yeah. Doing drugs, cocaine, smoking, yes, yeah, is, or or like freeways in the brain. I mean, that is yeah. what you do. That's yeah. your go-to thing. And now you're having to build new habits that that are just beginning to come online. Those myelin sheets are beginning to build mm-hmm. up, and it's starting mm-hmm. to happen. But it, it's really tenuous, and you really yeah. have to have a really yeah. solid support section to get that those new yeah. things ingrained. Yeah. And the other thing will begin to to weaken as you as you don't exercise it or as you don't feed it or pour pour gasoline on the fire as it were yeah i can advocate strongly enough the uh, importance of a support system it's you know possible to form your own system and that's something that i i did myself but i don't recommend it for for other people because having the having the support and encouragement and visibility and accountability to others really does a lot with this now you can develop your own support system in conjunction with this uh one of my favorite stories in regards to habit building is of comes from jerry seinfeld the story goes that uh Somebody went up to him after a comedy show one day and says, you know, Jerry, you're so funny. How, how can I get better? How can I be funnier uh, at becoming a stand-up comedian? And Jerry Seinfeld said, well, if you want to be a better comedian, you have to write better jokes. How do you write better jokes? By writing them every day. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and get a giant wall calendar that has all 365 days of the year and hang it up on your wall. And every day that you wrote a joke, put an X for that day. 
and then tomorrow show up and write an X on the day after you've written your jokes. And what happens after a while is that you start to see this string of red X's there on your wall calendar. And at that point, your only job becomes don't break the chain. And the longer this chain gets, the more inspired you're going to be to continue doing it and adding these X's and not breaking the chain. Um, it's been something that's incredibly powerful in my own practice and habit development. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. There's, uh, there's something else I wanted to share too in relation to what both of you all were talking about, which is that breaking a habit as such is incredibly hard. It is much easier to replace it with something else. And so we can develop a series of if-then statements. You know, if I feel a craving for this, I'm going to do this instead. For example, I feel the craving to drink. I'm going to go do 100 jumping jacks instead. And whatever it is, we decide on these substitutions ahead of time so that we're not just using our willpower to say, no, 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 not going to do this. We have something else to do instead, which switches our attention and builds new neural pathways in, in a stronger and, and more fulfilling direction. Something that can be really helpful in that regard, too, is with whatever habits we're trying to replace, ask ourselves. And again, this is where uh, John's motivational interviewing exercise can come in so handy is asking ourselves what are the benefits we were getting from this other habit we're trying to break and right. where else can I get those same benefits hmm. we identify something else that can fill those needs and flip those neural circuits ahead of time so that we have that in our toolkit to snap into you know if I feel this I'm going to do this instead and making sure we plan that out in advance will go a long way towards helping you continue whatever streak it is you're trying to build. I like that, Doug. I, I, I just had a conversation yesterday with a group and we were talking into this and we were talking about the, uh, the dopamine circuits in the brain and how it is that, that, uh, uh, that if, if our resting level is, let's say, at a one, that sexual orgasm doubles that, so it goes to a two. Uh, but if I take cocaine in, it, it's six times my baseline level. If I take heroin in, it's 10 times my baseline level. This is dopamine. This heroin is evoking the dopamine system as well as the opioid system. Methamphetamine is 12 times. <clears throat> and so the reality is there's very little I can do. You guys know I'm a drummer. We're all musicians here. I can drum and I can get pretty doggone close to sex <laughs> with drumming, but I can't get close to cocaine with drumming. I can't possibly compete with methamphetamine with drumming. And so part of what we talked about yesterday was, and it's in the spirit of what you're saying, Doug, is I need to come up with an alternative and I need to have a reason for accepting an alternative that's not going to compete with my drug of choice. My drumming can't compete with cocaine, but, and how, how it evolved is that, but what is it that I want to achieve in this life? And I can keep going the cocaine route and it's basically going to fuck away all of my potential in this life. And so there's a motivation for me finding substitutes that at least initially are going to have a hard time competing with my previous drug addiction. But over time, I'm going to need those. I'm going to need dopamine. I talked about it this way. I said, I'm like a whale that eats plankton. I need lots of dopamine stimulating activities in my life. They're not going to compete with, with, uh, with methamphetamine, let's say, but I want to, I want to have enough stimulation, enough food, enough nourishment that I can survive and actually thrive and, live out why I'm on this planet. And as we got into it, what was interesting, you guys, is that the, the, these, these are all addicts early in recovery. They began to get with that. 
there's we're not we're not trying to do some kind of mind game of oh yeah you know if you drum you'll get as high as you do when you do meth no you won't you won't but what meth takes away from you in terms of long term purpose or goals uh, is that really what you want to choose for and people begin to get with that it's like every person in that room at least most every person can identify that there's some reason they're on this planet other than just fucking it away with drug abuse and so beginning to find other alternatives, uh, whatever it is, if it's, it's athletics, if it's art, if it's loving people, if it, whatever it is, whatever my purpose is here, let me find a way to do that and realize that I'm going to have to find some very effective ways to counter the lure of the addictive path. Does that make sense, you guys? And, and the other thing is that once you get sucked into this, you know, following the siren song of drugs, in the yeah. beginning, it's pretty cool. Okay, I did cocaine twice, and I get it, you know. I, I, the first time I did it, it's like I was in the city in New York and this great evening and I felt great in the morning. And I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I really liked it. You know, I was, I'd, I'd been a cop already in the army and I'd seen drugs and crime and whatnot. And the other time, this is a really, this really gave me, this was my, my lesson. I mean, it was directly from the universe or God. I went to this um, party in the hills outside of uh, the hill country in Austin. It's really nice house. And, uh, how I got there is a big story. I was invited because of a strange event. But anyway, so this guy comes in the room and everybody, this is the eighties, right? Early eighties, cocaine is king. And he comes in and apparently the word gets out. He's some big dealer from Florida and he always brings in lots of Coke. So anyway, we, we, we get to talking somehow and everybody's looking at me like jealous. I'm talking to the man who has to stop. And he gives me, I don't know. I did a line or two or something with them. And he's, he's very smooth. He's very suave. He looks like a dork, but he has cocaine. So, I mean, he's cool. He says, I want to show you the power of this stuff. I said, okay. And so he called this young man over who I knew he was a bartender in a place. I, my favorite place to go listen to live music uh, in San Marcos, Texas. And uh, he comes over and he goes, uh, you want some of this stuff? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. He says, well, I want you to, and he didn't say it this politely, but he says, I want you to orally copulate me. And I goes, well, well, okay. And he says, I want you to do it right now, here. Hmm. And the guy's going, and he gets down on his knees and starts to do this in a public room with, you know, Mm -hmm. 100, 150 people. And then the guy just pushes his head away and says, get out of here. And he looks at me and says, it's like, I got power. And I was like, Okay done you know and that was it you know never did it again and it was just that that encounter with uh really powerful yeah powerful yeah so there it is so so the 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 point is is that yeah while in the beginning it's good the real addict knows that the suffering gets more and more and you need more and more coke to try to simulate all the dopamine that's no longer left in your brain and then when you come down you're living in hell longer and longer and longer so yeah it is good it was good but it's getting worse and worse and the highs are getting like smaller and smaller and the lows are expanding exponentially yeah Yeah, that's vast universe of suffering and and yeah when you're coming from a place that's so low, there are undoubtedly a, a lot of self-worth and self-esteem issues tied up in what you think your value is in doing something like that. And Bob, what you were saying a few minutes ago about finding something that you care about more, and John, you've said this a lot too, finding something that you care about more than doing the drugs or doing the alcohol. What is your purpose here? What is your place in this universe? And you, you may have something that fills you with passion. I 
to get specific, I had a lot of interests. I had a lot of things that I enjoyed, you know, making music for one, writing for another. But I was coming from such a low place that yeah. believing I could actually make a difference with any of those things or that my efforts mattered made it hard for those things to replace what I was getting from drugs because I didn't believe that it would make any difference, that I was good enough or deserving enough or whatever it was to do it. And so that's one of the things that these four core practices, exercise, that meditation, that building a chain of habits will do is it starts to strengthen that sense of self-worth. You are proud of yourself when you've worked out for X number of days consistently in a row, meditated for X number of days consistently in a row. And repairing our self-esteem in that way helps us start to believe that the things we're passionate have been about that, that can replace our using will actually make a difference in our things that we have a right and an ability to pursue. And yeah. And the temporary joys of, of drugs, it's, it's a counterfeit. It's not the real deal. And when you begin to build, you know, a bank account of authentic happiness and authentic purpose and meaning, it, it gets stronger. Your recovery gets stronger. And in the beginning, it's hard. Okay. Anything, anything when you're new and whether you're an addict or not, when you're starting a new skill, a new practice, it's just difficult and it's awkward. And, and of course with drugs, it's even worse because you have all this kind of, you've got the addict brain, you know, I call it the evil lawyer, you know, who knows you better than you know yourself is trying to make every freaking rationalization in the world to get you to use again. Oh, you deserve it. I mean, you can control it. It'll be different now. You know, you really suck. Why don't you just kill yourself and do it? Cause Mm, I hate you and you hate you. You know, whatever, whatever your weaknesses, whatever your Achilles heel, that freaking you know, lawyer. It, and it's, it's almost like a mythic story. It's almost like, you know, the, the little demon, the angel, you know, and, and, the, and the idea is to strengthen the angel's voice, the good voice through our practices and through support and, and really, really know in the beginning, you have to have support. You have to have people yeah. that love you and care about you and can look you in the eyes and say, I see more than there yeah. than you think is in there and you are worth it. And we're going to do this thing. So this feels like a good place to say integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash contact. And you can get in touch with us for coaching support in helping you design your practices and, you know, work through some of these things that are keeping you from designing your your new integral life, your life in recovery, the life that is the most fulfilling that it possibly can be. And it definitely is a process that requires practice, both the practices we're talking about and some trial and error along the way as we hone in on the best path to get there. But with a coach, you know, there's going to be less error along the way. And it really can be a, a life-saving thing to get support along this path because the thing about this disease is people, people die and I have found that contrary to what I thought, life is worth fighting for if you're willing to do the work to realize it. And, and if, you, if you're not there yet, get some people to fight for you, okay, until you're in the game yourself. Also, don't we have like a free meditation track that people could go and download and get started? You know, you, we, you were talking about this type of meditation all the time. Is that at the, uh, the website? Yeah, we have the uh, Deep Delta, which is one of our favorite meditations from Iowa. It gets you to just a great place. Um, you can download that for free, uh, integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash free. So go and get yourself this track. Don't have to make any decisions. Just uh, put on Deep Delta, hit play, and get started. <laughs> yeah, put on your earbuds or your headphones and get, get rocking. Great okay. job, you guys. Great job. All right. <clears throat>
All right. Anyway, thank you, everybody. We love you. And I love Blessings. you Blessings. Yes. <laughs> Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.